0: kind of like this pulpit that they've got here. kind of like it a little better than the one we have, actually. But anyhow, one of the side benefits of being, being in this space. As, uh, as Daniel said, we're going to talk about kindness as one uh, aspect or manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. You'll remember if you were here last Sunday, I mentioned uh, that two of the primary defining aspects of love... In that passage from 1 Corinthians thirteen, love is patient, love is kind, and those two are also uh, considered fruit of the spirit in and of themselves. And I think that's significant. Now, just so you know, I, I would like to walk around a little bit more, but tech things being what they are, I'm I'm kind of tied to this microphone, so so uh, it'll be a little different than usual. But please just bear with me as we as we do. So kindness, I think kindness is one of those those items in this list that doesn't really get a whole lot of attention as far as the fruit of the Spirit. And it's not its not either one of those big theological words, you know, like grace, forgiveness, repentance, atonement. It just kind of seems generic, not really well defined. And, and to be honest, I think sometimes we're tempted to see kindness as not a really spiritual uh item in the list can kind of think of it as just a secular virtue right do nice things for people be a nice person be a good person that sort of thing whereas real matters are more spiritual repentance and forgiveness and all those other more theological or spiritual sounding things but the bible in that famous list in galatians says one of the fruit of the spirit is kindness so we kind of have to accept what the bible says and then figure out okay what does that mean we're going to have to come to terms with that. Because one of the most dangerous things we can do is to ignore or even twist parts of the Bible because they don't fit our preconceived ideas of how things are supposed to work. But we can't just sort of ignore kindness as a fruit of the Spirit. It's in the Scriptures for a reason. So last week I talked about some of my experience in analog or 35 millimeter photography and buying old cameras on eBay and how the, the lack of this tiny little metal peg in the lens fitting on this camera meant that the whole automatic exposure system in the machine just didn't work at all. Just this tiny little piece, the whole thing didn't function. And this sort of thing is kind of remarkably common, actually, that the loss or the lack of just one little thing can make a whole complex system completely useless, they're frequently dependent on little parts that we might be tempted to neglect or think of as not very important in, in favor of things that look more impressive. So I want to be able to water the, uh, the flowers in my front flower bed. There's an outside tap on the front of my house. That's convenient, right? So last summer I bought a, a short garden hose, one of those coily ones that kind of looks like a spring. So I only need like 10 feet to get to the end of the flower bed. That's a lot easier than lugging my 50-foot hose around from the back, hooking it onto the tap for five minutes. And I also bought a nozzle for the, for the hose to water the, the soil gently in the front. But by this spring, when I went to hook it all up again, that nozzle, even though it was quite a nice one, it didn't work. The trigger was all seized up, and it had cracked or something. So we figured, I'm just going to buy one at Dollarama. If it's going to last one season, I might as well only pay three bucks for it, right? Uh, you kind of get what you pay for, though. Um, so I get this nozzle home, and it fits kind of tight, and I've got to crank it onto the hose collar there with pliers. And then, so I t- turn it on, but the washer that they put in this cheap dollar store garden nozzle, it's not a very good quality washer. So the water's just spraying out all over the place, and thankfully i had some replacements i i instead of this little cheap orange washer that was kind of hard and brittle i got a black rubber o-ring and put in there it's a little thicker it makes a better seal and we're set problem solved now just think about that just think about that for a minute there's a complex system that exists to bring water all the way from buffalo pound lake if you think about it buffalo pound lake really isn't a lake it was sort of just a swamp until they built a dam in 1939 that actually created a stable body of water. And then they also built further along there the Gardner Dam, the Capell River Dam in 1967. So there's that. Somebody actually had to create the lake that we get the water from. Then there's a complex system of water gathering that sucks water out of the lake, treats it, puts it in a pipeline, brings it to our community with suitable pressure for household use, more or less, and the whole system failed, though, because a little piece of rubber didn't fit properly, and so the water was going everywhere except into my flowers for the lack of this little piece of rubber. Of course, something as simple as an O-ring seal, it, that can even have disastrous consequences. Some of you may remember this. On January 28, 1986, the space shuttle Challenger disintegrated 73 seconds after liftoff, and if you've ever seen the video, I actually watched it, the the live CNN feed that they were broadcasting, it's absolutely chilling. You see the the thing take off, and it's flying, and it's flying, and then just puff. The whole thing disintegrates, and the, the announcers don't even know what to say. They're just absolutely just dumbstruck by it. And the engineers concluded in the cleanup of the wreckage, and what happened was Uh, rubber o-ring seal considerably larger than one that you'd put in a garden hose of course but it failed because of the low temperatures on launch day and it allowed burning gases in one of the solid stage rocket boosters to escape and come out the side and it, it lit the whole ship on fire and within seconds it disintegrated the entire spacecraft and tore it to pieces. None of us thinks about those little details that much but without them Really bad things can happen. And I think kindness is a lot like that. We tend to pass over it in favor of the things that seem bigger and more complex and, and just flashier. It's kind of a simple and humble sort of a virtue. It's frequently underrated. But without it, things can just go really badly. They might even be disastrous. So today we're going to read from the Old Testament, from Proverbs Chapter 11, I invite you to stand. We're going to read this responsively. Good, it's, it's working. So I'm just going to kind of carry on reading here, and I'll read slowly. I'll read uh, what you see on the screen in the white printing myself, and you can join in on those, those little sections that are in the green printing, okay? All right, here we go. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. With humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, But the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish. The expectation of wealth perishes too. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. By the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. He who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. A gracious woman gets honor, and violent men get riches. A man who is kind benefits himself cruel man hurts himself the wicked earns deceptive wages one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live he who pursues evil will die those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord those of blameless ways are his delight be assured an evil person will not go unpunished the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout, is a beautiful woman without discretion. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will be Be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain. Blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor. Evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. The righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Whoever captures souls is wise. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? This is God's word. You can have a seat. Now, Proverbs, especially after chapter 9, it just seems to consist in these little sayings, which are often phrased in these these two-line pairs, which makes it easy to read in a responsive fashion like that. And Frequently, they come in a this-but-not-this, or a this-and-also-this pattern. Sometimes, there seems to be little rhyme or reason as to how these little Proverbs get structured together in the course of a chapter. Other times, though, there are some observable patterns, and this chapter seems to have Amongst all the things going on, there's there's a couple of important themes, and these are big themes throughout the whole book of Proverbs. Two of the main themes here are kindness in terms of generosity, as well as in the way we use our speech, the words that we say. Over and over again in here, we hear, this is what righteousness consists in, and we hear about A person who acts in righteous ways, and we might say kind ways, and some of your translations uh, do have the word kindness in, in a couple more places than the ESV. So we'll dive in there, first of all, looking at be kind in what you say. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, the text says, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all, right? That's something your grandmother maybe taught you when you were a little kid. Probably what? But no, your grandmother didn't teach you that because you didn't learn it. You learned the words. We all did. We've been a lot slower to actually learn the lesson and learn to actually do what the words say. At least if, if my own experience is, is any guide to that seems that God sets the world up in such a way that we, we keep coming back to these real basic lessons, don't we? We keep stumbling over them, trying to learn them, uh, sometimes with greater success than others. Sometimes I think we just gossip and, and slander with the excuse, Well, what I'm saying is true, so that must make it okay, right? You know, yes, there there are times absolutely when you need to blow the whistle on corruption, on abuse of power, all those kinds of things. However, scripture also clearly says that there's a time to keep your mouth shut. Even if even if the thing is true. How much more should we maybe keep things to ourselves when the thing in question is only maybe kind of true or we think maybe it's true, or there's, there's a little bit of truth in it. But shouldn't we stand up for the truth? Well, yes, but there's a time and a place, and not everything that you think is true, or that you have a hunch is true, needs to be made public either. Even if you're in possession of all the facts, which usually you're not, and I'm not. So before spreading something around, we need to ask ourselves why we're doing it. Are we really doing it to stand up for the truth and for righteousness? Or are we spreading the matter around and and telling these tales and secrets to make ourselves look better by comparison? Or to tear the other person down? Those usually go hand in hand. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, the text says, but a person of understanding keeps quiet what's that about well I think it's pretty simple actually we're all in this together your neighbor probably knows some things about you that might be true enough at least have a element of truth in them you probably wouldn't want those being spread around and becoming common knowledge you want everything that goes on in your life to be made public well then maybe don't go doing that about other people Especially if it gets cast in the worst possible light and without any context. Don't do that to your neighbor then. We'll get into this more later on as we, as we get to the application part of our message for today. But these are not just individual decisions. They affect the whole community. The way we speak has a sort of contagious effect. If a critical mass of people, a large enough group, starts to engage in, you know, or better, indulge in, I would say, slanderous or accusatory talk or even just excessive complaining. It creates a corporate or or communal culture where that sort of thing becomes the norm. That's what it means when it says a wise person, a person of understanding, refrains from speaking in those ways because they know what the result is going to be. It's going to hurt the community. It's going to tear the community down. It's going to create a community culture where these activities become normal. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered, it says. The godless man, the unrighteous person, destroys his neighbor by means of his words. Now, it may be that such a person is is malevolent and actually means to set out to destroy his neighbor, to ruin his reputation in the community out of vindictiveness or, or anger or revenge or something, you know, by gossiping or slandering or accusing. Or it may be, and you know, this is more common than you think. The unrighteous person is actually just foolish and thinks that it it, it will truly provide some help and benefit by by speaking in this way, that this is a good way to to deal with the situation. But the godly man, the righteous person, is, is delivered from this course of action and the ensuing consequences by knowledge. Knowledge of of what's going to happen. It's the righteous person and the wise person. That's frequently linked in Proverbs. That person knows, understands, foresees the dangers in slandering and and accusing and complaining that it will not do good and that hurt and destruction are likely to start spreading beyond the initial context, especially if you have something against your neighbor and you go to talk about it with somebody else instead of the person that you're actually having the disagreement with. You've already started to spread it beyond the context where it's helpful. And so, the wise person refrains from doing that. He doesn't make thinly-veiled, passive-aggressive rants on Facebook, and he doesn't go around whispering, you know, we really need to be praying for so-and-so because of this. We'll come back to this later on, as I said, but let's move on to the other One of the other major themes of this passage, generosity. Now, before we all get, well, didn't we just have a sermon about giving not that long ago? Let's remember, it's in the Bible, so we should deal with it. We should see it. It must be important if it's in God's word over and over again. Like in this passage, how many times did the writer talk about, you know, the generous person lives in this way, and it's good. If kindness is a fruit of the Spirit... And one of the ways the Bible says that we can be kind to our neighbors and our community is by generosity. We should probably pay attention to that. It says here, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Now, sadly, these sorts of passages have been shamefully exploited by prosperity preachers who use them as sort of a claim that, you know, if you send me $50, send it right now, operators are standing by, that then the Lord will bless you and grant you more wealth in return. And sadly, in the majority of these cases, the only person gaining more wealth is the guy on TV asking for money and not the person sending in their $20. However, having said this, the passage is still in the Bible, and so we we need to understand if that's not what it means, if it's not the the slick guy fleecing people, often desperate people, okay, what does it mean then? How do we apply this correctly? I don't want to get too far afield in terms of understanding and applying a passage like this in, in terms of Old Covenant times versus now, but I will sum up by saying... I understand Old Covenant promises of material success as a consequence of obedience to God to have both a natural and a supernatural element. That is, you know, if you read some of the passages in, in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy where the Lord says, you know, if, if you live in this way, if you obey my commands, uh, your crops will grow well and the rains will come and your enemies won't defeat you. Some of those require, you know, a supernatural element. Uh, input from God, you might say. You know, the, the rain falling on the land to grow the crops. So there's a sense in which there, there was a, a promise of supernatural blessing that required God's special intervention. But there are, others, there are other ways that this works out, that it just sort of seems to be this is how God set up the world. If you live in, in a righteous manner and in a kind manner, in a manner that takes others into account well, then things work better, because that's just the way God made the world. A generous person, of course, is going to have a better reputation in the community than somebody who's greedy and stingy and mean-spirited. A person who helps others in their time of need is just more likely to be helped in return when they have need. That's just the way things work in, in a society. That's the way God set up the world to work. And it seems to be more of this kind of ladder cause and effect type of relationship that we're dealing with here in proverbs if you live a life characterized by kindness you'll be better off in the long run than people who live a life characterized by meanness now it's true some people might take advantage of your kindness but in the long run you'll be better off if you foster a community culture or atmosphere or attitude that emphasizes kindness and care for others Again, we'll get to the the community application in due course. But just in case there was any doubt about whether material wealth is sort of the ultimate goal of all this, even in this passage, when the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. A gracious, or some translations have kind woman, gets honor. Violent men get riches." Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. You know, riches and wealth, that's not, that's not the ultimate goal. It might be a nice byproduct, but even in this passage, in verses right there with, with the ones that promise material reward, are verses cautioning against focusing on it too much. Riches aren't the main thing. If the Lord does choose to bless us with, with some measure of wealth, it's not so we can indulge ourselves. It's because he's entrusting us with more that we can be generous and bless others with. This is important because kindness, as as with any of the fruit of the Spirit, it needs to find a sort of concrete expression. Not just remain at the level of warm, fuzzy thoughts, wherever it is you, you feel those somewhere in your person. Kindness in our words and kindness in our resources aren't the only ways, of course, but they are ways that Scripture keeps coming back to again and again. These are ways that you can be obedient to the Lord. These are ways that you can be kind to others. Maybe it's because, at least again, if if I'm going to take myself as an example, we all struggle with these things quite a bit. As I've mentioned in previous weeks, the fruit of the Spirit are community virtues. As they, they aren't, these aren't qualities by which we can separate off by ourselves and sort of use them as attainment markers to evaluate and elevate our own holiness. That's not the point of the fruit of the Spirit, to go through them and be like, well, doing pretty good with kindness today, unlike that guy over there. Yeah, doing pretty good with patience, not like him. These are for the community. They're so that we can live together as the body of Christ in harmony, the way he designed us to function. Right here in this passage, there's a verse that, this one just, this is really where I got, got into this, this verse this week, kind of at the heart of this passage. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. This is the choice that's before us every time we open our mouth to speak words to one another or about one another. Every time. Are we going to speak kind and righteous words that bless and build up others? Or are we going to speak unkind words of gossip, slander, or complaint and tear others down? Our city, that is our, our faith community, as well as our civic community, hang in the balance, the ways we speak have tremendous power to create a culture or an atmosphere in the spaces and places we inhabit. You know, in our very real sense, the results are way bigger than the sum of the parts. Or put that another way, the effect of our words, it doesn't just add, you know, one plus one plus one plus one. They multiply over time because they spread throughout the community, If you go around speaking words of blessing and encouragement and thanksgiving, that that snowballs quickly and starts to create a culture where, to borrow from the Apostle Paul, it, it builds itself up in love. It reaches a point where it gains a critical mass and something very special begins to happen. Of course, the reverse is true as well. If we go around speaking words of accusation and blame and complaint, that can snowball too. And eventually the fabric of our community or our culture just starts to tear itself to pieces so the choice is yours and ours and all of ours do we do we speak words and act in a way that will exalt our community or overthrow it tear it down friends this isn't this isn't rocket science it kind of boils down to a few simple questions to ask yourself before you speak is it true like 100% true the whole truth and nothing but the truth Is there any spin or embellishing of what you're saying to maybe try to make yourself look just a little better, make others maybe look just a little bit worse? Is it helpful? Because even if it's true, you have to ask yourself, is saying this actually going to prove helpful in the situation or to the other person? It's true, it may not be still worth spreading. The Scriptures here say that sometimes the, the kind and righteous thing to do is to keep a thing covered. You know, merely raising awareness doesn't always count as helpful, right? Are you actually are you actually willing to do anything to help the situation? Gotta ask yourself that. This goes for the words that we speak with our mouths as well as the words that we speak with our fingers too, electronically. Perhaps especially those they have a much bigger reach, they tend to be more more permanent. And we're sometimes pretty brave about saying things electronically that we wouldn't ever dream or dare to say to people face to face. Of course, we're people within a community. And so if we build a healthy and whole and functioning community, well, then we're part of it and and it benefits us. There's a verse in this passage that says, A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. As with the passage we looked at before regarding a generous person being blessed in return, this this isn't some sort of loophole whereby you can kind of cheat the system around the back door just to make things better for you. It's not the motivation here. However, as we just looked at, kindness in word or deed multiplies, and you create a culture of kindness and compassion. And if you do that, well then, of, of course... Things are going to be better off for you because you're in a culture where things are actually going well. You just think about it. If you help someone when they're in need, chances are that maybe they'll help you when you're in need. And, and chances are they'll help other people when they're in need. If you thank people who do kind things for you, that builds them up. They're more likely to express thankfulness when somebody does something kind for them. Chances are then others are going to be more likely to reciprocate and the community builds itself up in love. You see how that starts to snowball? Everybody wants to live in a community like that. The the scripture reading we, we had read earlier kind of talks about that kind of community that the Lord longs to create for his people, where he is blessing them and where things are going well. And we have a part in creating that kind of community With one another, but it's the same if you do mean things, unkind things. You spread rumors, even rumors with a bit of truth in them. Pretty soon, people don't feel like they can trust anybody. Because if if I'm spreading rumors about you, maybe you're spreading rumors about me, and what's going on. And pretty soon, we don't trust one another very much. Pretty soon, we move from spreading rumors to making accusations. Pretty soon, they get wilder and conspiracy theory like. Pretty soon we've moved from lack of trust to outright hatred. Pretty soon we're rounding up Jews and putting them on cattle cars. How do you think it happened? Right? Like, we go, oh, Hitler. But Hitler didn't go around personally and force everybody in World War II-era Germany to do that. Like, it started with people not trusting their neighbors, and the, the distrust began to move to hatred and wild accusations and, Pretty soon, a whole nation was reaping the consequences of that. And, and if you do any study at all, you will see just how much words and speech played into that and propaganda. That's, I mean, that's an extreme example, but that's where it can go when, when a community starts to use their speech in harmful ways. If you sow the seeds of suspicion and malevolence, those things will come back around to hurt your community and to hurt you. It may take a while, and it might not be as catastrophic as that, but that is how God set up the world, right? A man sows whatsoever he reaps. You might not think that some careless words here and there, some some gossiping or complaining would have such serious consequences, but to return to the illustration at the beginning, nobody thought that an uh, ill-fitting rubber O-ring was going to disintegrate a spacecraft either. A thing that was small detail, overlooked, and the, restu- the results were catastrophic. Kindness, or, or the lack thereof, can have serious consequences. That's both a serious warning then, but the flip side of a serious warning is that we have a big opportunity. Kindness is so much more than just being nice. It has tremendous power to build the kind of community that we want to live in. As I said at the beginning, there's a lot of ways in which kindness is very similar to love. And so a lot of what I said last week about love also applies to what we're saying today about kindness. Because kindness was one of the main ways that love was, was explained in 1 Corinthians 13. You might even say that, that biblical kindness is, is the love of Christ expressed in action. It's love in action. In, in particular, I would say kindness really is love in actions in, in small ways, in everyday life, in things that don't seem real remarkable at the time, that don't get a whole lot of notice. And so we do well to remember that the motivation And capability for this kind of kindness doesn't come from ourselves. It is, in fact, the love of Jesus flowing through us to others. We don't create it. We don't produce it. But we we can be willing vessels and instruments of it. And so we need to cultivate that by praying for it and maintaining a close and vital connection with our Lord so that we can be his faithful servants and, and fitting vessels for his love to come through to others. We need to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading in day-to-day life. And we looked at that a bit last week. To to see the opportunities that he puts right in front of us. Sometimes we go looking for these, these huge opportunities to do some great world-changing thing. But the Lord is like, well, maybe you should pray for that person over there. Or, or that person looks like they're having a bad day. Maybe you should go and ask them if they're all right. Maybe you should ask a follow-up question when somebody just says fine when you ask how they're doing. You know, Maybe you have a neighbor who could use some help in a practical way. That's kindness in action. So let's look for ways that we can choose to speak encouraging and life-giving words and choose not to speak complaining and gossiping words. Let's look for ways that we can be generous with what we have in terms of wealth, time, resources, all that the Lord has blessed us with. But I want to leave us with, with one final thought beyond all that. All the stuff we talked about last week, that still applies today because they're very similar topics. As i thought about this week, I've determined that really kindness is probably one of the most underrated qualities, fruit of the Spirit, But like that little black rubber O-ring, or the much bigger one in that space shuttle rocket, it can have huge consequences. This got me thinking about the importance of, of character over competence. Probably hear far more than we'd like about, especially public figures, right? Sports people, media personalities entertainment people people in you know scholarship even in ministry sadly they seem to have it all together they have this big public persona and they're 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 doing whatever they do publicly and everything looks amazing and they seem to have success after success huge competence and yet in their personal lives things are not nearly so all together we hear about affairs and infidelity gambling or substance abuse problem manipulative behavior, fits of anger. The list goes on and on. Such people have have considerable competence, or at least they certainly have the appearance of competence, which is still a form of competence, I suppose. They have these in some areas of their lives, but the competence they have is just far outpaced the character that should be underlying it and supporting it. The character is just kind of juvenile or even infantile in comparison to the things that they're trying to achieve. Now, what does that have to do with kindness, you might ask? It has to do this, I think. Kindness is one of those aspects of our lives that it's, it's hard to fake. Sometimes it's not all that easy to spot because it may happen in small and out-of-the-way places. You know, that whole thing about not sounding a trumpet when you do a small deed of kindness that Jesus said that's important that said I think it's even harder to fake for those same reasons genuine kindness is one of those things that that fakers and Pharisees in the worst sense of the word they rarely take time to bother with because they've got all these big, flashy, showy things that they're all focused on. They're not caring so much about the little people and the little needs and the little things around them. And then when they do try to to do something like that, it seems it seems off. It seems forced. It seems flaky and not genuine. For that reason, I think there's great safety in practicing kindness. One of those very humble things, but also one of those genuine things that's a safeguard to your character, kind of keeps your character growing at maybe trying to keep pace with your competence. Kindness, I think, is one of those things that makes you a saint rather than a Pharisee. You can see the difference there, right? Pharisee, and we can use the term saint in the best sense of that word, both are doing good things, both are believing the right things, And yet, the one isn't really doing any of those good things from motivations that have to do with kindness. They're doing things from motivation much more of self. So you can have the right system of doctrine checked and double-checked and certified with a, a degree or whatever you might have. But without kindness, putting the love of God into action... Doesn't accomplish much. Just believing the right things and avoiding certain sins just makes you a Pharisee and not a saint, as the Lord is calling us to be. At the end of the day, as we've seen here, kindness might just be the thing that prevents your community from tearing itself to pieces. So, as we close, I would just encourage you maintain connection. With Jesus. The capacity to to exercise this kind of kindness. It's not something we can just do in ourselves. It's the kindness of the Lord toward us. I mean, look, look at how kind the Lord was toward us. And then we can be vessels for that kindness. Flowing into us from Jesus by his Spirit flowing out of us to others who are in need. And look for the opportunities he sends your way. There, there's probably small ones every single day, things you could do, slow down a little bit, see the needs that are around you, speak words of encouragement, speak words of thanksgiving, don't speak words of complaining. Those are small things, but they have huge impact. And I think there's tremendous room in this community to do those things more and to do those other things less. Express kindness in your words. Express kindness in your generosity, whatever that looks like. Generosity with your time, with your resources, with your skills. And do it with the love of Jesus on a daily basis. Maintain that connection so it can flow into you and out to others. And may the effects multiply within our community. Let us pray. Lord, even in this passage from the Proverbs that seems to maybe just give us some wise little nuggets for life, we can see so much of the, the way that you've designed us to live in community. so much of of what you you tell us to do in your word and what obedience looks like. And all this we're talking about, the fruit of the Spirit. It's about how we live together as your body, that reality that you you call your kingdom that's coming in our midst. That's the motivation, Lord, that we have to, to practice righteousness and holiness, to long for it, to be passionate for it. To, to pray earnestly that you would give us this kind of love for one another, expressing itself in kindness. And so we pray for that, Lord. We pray for it knowing that even these basic little areas, seemingly little, of, of the ways we speak, the words we say, how we use our time and our resources, these seem like small things, and yet we know if we're honest we struggle with them. It can be easy to, to misuse the gifts of speech the gifts of resources and so we pray that by your spirit you would you would make us more and more fitting and suitable vessels for these gifts that you give us lord we know we don't have it in us to live in these ways and yet we know that your goodness toward us in jesus means that we can leave our sins and our insufficiencies We can lay those down, and instead we can clothe ourselves with the righteousness that is his. We can fill ourselves with the righteousness and holiness that is our Savior's. So we pray that we would continue to do that, that your spirit would work in us and make that more and more of a reality in our lives, and then it would flow out into our community. We pray that you would go with us into this week ahead that we would see the opportunities, uh, that we wouldn't maybe look so high for big and, and earth-shattering things to do, that we miss the little opportunities to show kindness all around us. And may we find that by living in these ways, love expressing itself in kindness, that, that we safeguard our character and, and safeguard our souls, that it, that it keeps us humble keeps us focused on the things you would have us focus on and not not exalting ourselves. Um, yeah, will you go with us? Will you work through us? And will you, by your spirit, uh, begin to multiply these actions, to build the kind of community that you long for here in our midst as a family of faith and in this, this village that we inhabit? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.